Welcome to the Grow to Amazing podcast, episode number six. I am Tony Mays, your host, and I am very excited today to have on the podcast a USA Today bestselling author. His name is Mike Rothman, and he has, I believe it's 15 books altogether published with a few more coming out uh, in the pipeline. And just happy to have him on to be able to talk about his writing history, how he got into it, how he balances work, life, and writing, uh, because he is still working full-time and writing as a very successful writer and has uh, kids and wife as well. So it's, I think it's going to be a great discussion and uh, hope you like it as well and hope you get something out of it to help you grow through your life. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Mike Rothman to the Grow to Amazing podcast. Uh, this is episode number six, and I'm really happy to have him on here. I'll just take right from your uh, bio, Mike, then we'll go from there. So thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Sure, no problem. Uh, Mike is a USA Today bestselling author, one of the most unlikely novelists you'll ever meet. He's an engineer, first and foremost, background in the sciences, and somehow or another, you turned a writing habit into uh, just a lot more than I'd say than a run-of-the-mill hobby. You write stories that focus on two things, technology and international intrigue. You tend to span a lot of the genres of science fiction, techno thriller, and mainstream th thrillers. You've also got some fantasy out there, I think, as well, and kind of blend that fantasy in there kind of blur the lines there a little. You enjoy cooking, which I've got a story I want to read about that eventually, learning about new tech, travel, and spending time with his family. So firstborn American in your family, despises self-importance, and I think I've sensed a touch of sarcasm in your posts online as well. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you still love reading, engineer, scientists, and things like that. Welcome to the podcast again. So thank you. Thank you. You know, you want to, I, I guess I, I kind of like to start a little bit about on the history side of things. And you mentioned in your in your bio, firstborn American in your family. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So the well, like I said, yeah, the the uh, firstborn in my family, uh, born in Connecticut, long long ago, and um, yeah, mo most of my family came to the U.S. in uh, mid fifties. Uh, it was after World War II era grandfather was a uh, you know refugee from the nazis uh, wow. most of my family is uh you know I, I would say more than half of my family still lives in israel and you know and, and we're scattered a little bit in europe but uh, a lot of them are, are in israel did i hear uh, you were an army brat as well oh yeah somewhere? oh yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah. My, so so uh, my my father came over to us um when he was a teen and, uh, you know, mm. so, somewhere along the way joined, uh, air force first was a test pilot and okay. then, um, and then joined the army. I came along during the army stint. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Um, yeah. How many years was he in altogether? I think he did his 20, okay. uh, for, for the army. Yeah. He was a physician, uh, yeah, there. So excellent. So did your grandfather did was he actually in a concentration camp or or No, he, he uh he 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 managed to escape. Uh, m most of that generation passed. Uh yeah, you know, so they 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 died in the concentration camps. He he yeah. and his his mother was a survivor of uh Birkenbau. Um and okay. uh uh let's see. And I think his uh his sister survived. And that was about 
um, you know, he, 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 he was a refugee. He, you know, so he was 13 at the time mm-hmm. when that was happening and, you know, got smuggled onto a freighter and managed to, uh, yeah. So he, wow. he, he had, he had lots of stories, but, uh, <laughs> well, 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 one of them was, uh, you know, uh, on the freighter, a whole bunch of refugees, just like him, uh, packed like sardines and, mm-hmm. uh, and his, he chose the U.S. to bring the family over versus U.K. or anywhere else was because he, he had very vivid memories of as the freighter was approaching the coasts of, um, you know, at the time was, uh, you know, a, a U.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, territory. The freighter, which was full of just refugees, was being you know, machine gunned uh, from the shore by, you know, from the, the U.K. Trips. shore. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so that would probably so, so, be a little bit of a disincentive to, to yeah. get off the boat there. <laughs> so, so, so he held a little resentment from that, yeah. and uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and never went there. But, yeah, um, yeah, when he came to the U.S. and uh, he, he he was very much a, and I guess this is what instilled it in my father, mm-hmm. and and uh, and me as well. He was very much a uh, patriot in as much as you know. I mean, he he served in the army when when he was in Israel. It was sort of mm-hmm. the thing to do. Um, I think everybody uh, pretty much did back then, right? Yeah, so yeah. That must have been uh, around the formation of the state, then. Guess. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, but but yeah. Bought America. He was very big on buying American, and you know, just mm-hmm. yeah, he would never buy anything, you know, if he could avoid it, you know, that was built you know, or made it elsewhere. So, so that must have shaped probably your father's growing up quite a bit as well, growing up with his dad in the army, and then they're in the military, and yeah, I mean, because for the most part, my, my grandfather growing up the way the way he did, yeah, you know, it, it was pull yourself up by your bootstraps or die, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, and that, you know. Yeah, it's more complicated than that. But but in essence, I I I mean I I really did grow up you know at the knee of my grandfather versus my father. My father was in med school when I was young, mm-hmm. etc., and, and, and in the army, and, and we we traveled a lot. But mm-hmm. you know, I I learned a lot of lessons with regards to uh, self reliance and <laughs> not, not 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 depending on anything. And one of the reasons, I mean, my my grandfather, even though obviously he was a refugee and was penniless at the time mm-hmm. um you know b- built you know himself a pretty decent you know series of businesses but okay. um refused to pay for school refused to you know i mean so it it, it was yeah, a you, you know, had to bootstrap yourself basically yeah right yeah mm-hmm. because he 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 did it you know it grows character or whatever i mean <laughs> I, 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 you know now i'm paying for my kids college but you know whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's those were lessons he chose to impart to yeah you know you know his son and you know and i i i experienced some similar things <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can empathize with that too. I mean, my parents, um, you know, I was on my own for college as well and, and kind of took the wrong path of a few student loans and things like that. And if you can avoid that with your kids, that's great. I mean, as long as they're learning the lessons to go along with that about managing their money and things like that. No, right. And there's slightly different situations for, for them. And for me, uh, I, I, because my my grandfather probably I think was still building his business and my father's situation for me was I mean I think he 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 was directly affected by my grandfather's lessons so yeah. you know, I, I was on my own but he could have afforded anything and, and yeah. that wasn't an issue so I, I didn't do what my father did in as much as <laughs> um, I, so I, that's I, okay I, right? I, I I can afford 
to college and yeah. everything else so i'm paying for it however you know at the same time the kids know that their job is grades and whatnot and if they don't they're going to be flipping and burgers they figure it out themselves yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. uh on their own so yeah you can choose to ruin your life or or not you know that's up to you yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah. especially if you have aspirations that require a degree and you yeah. screw up uh, there are consequences to all actions. So. Yep, absolutely. I've got an 18-year-old that is doing, I had, I don't know, rightly or wrongly, but had been pushing him for a four-year school and he'd been pushing back and wanting to do, he was very big on music, was talking about a performance degree, but then he also got into music instrument repair and decided that's what he wanted, but he's really flourished in that program. And now I wouldn't change it for the world. And I'm glad right. that he stuck to his guns on what, you know, what his dream was. So yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's been said, you know, if you do, you know, what you like, you never have to work a day in your life. You know? mm-hmm. So, yep. uh, you know, to, to me, it's it's follow your talents versus, you know, I think a lot of parents are encouraged delusions, potentially. It's like, oh, I'm going to be a <laughs> rock star, potentially. Yeah. And, and you know that the kid can't sing, can't play guitar game. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm like... All right, your, your your chances are zero percent, but I'll encourage mm-hmm. it. No, no, I, I'm not going to encourage something that I know you're not capable. Yeah, of yeah. yeah. But yeah, the yeah kids are flexible, so they can. Yeah. Yep. My kids, yep. My so, kids, yeah, my kids are smart, so they can do it. Yeah. Yep. So did that? Uh, when did you start getting into science and technology and things like that? Uh, right, so is that always? Yeah. Yeah. So so science has always been uh, a thing for me. So yeah, my my degrees are in science, physics, uh, and and actually biology. Oddly enough, so it's always been. I mean, it's my career, my job one career, and, and so I've been a research scientist for thirty plus years. So. And and so that's been part of it. And you know, uh, mm-hmm. I guess as a as a tangent, the the writing. Yeah. You know, so most of the folks at my work, if they you know, and, and actually uh, inevitably. As I as I sold more, uh, I, I learned some people figured out that I was writing because it was never something I actually was open about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I keep a very hard line between <laughs> author persona and mm-hmm. other persona. Yeah, I, I don't cross those streams. Yeah, you know, however, mm-hmm. inevitably, some people that I worked with go, <laughs> "Hey, do you do you by chance?" you know write novels or whatever and i was like oh no. <laughs> no but but that that all started actually for my kids oddly mm-hmm. enough, because sure. they, they, it, it was the whole uh you know bedtime story thing and and okay. even though even though i didn't necessarily see myself as a writer ever because it was it was never something i was interested in you know do you if, write do you write uh, articles for work Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, whether it's research papers, patents, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all things that I do. So, so I always, I always wrote as part of my job, but it was never a creative writing thing per se, Mm -hmm. though, though, obviously the patent thing has to be, but, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not the same thing. When, when, When I started dabbling with the writing it had nothing to do with what i do today you know it really had to do with entertaining my kids for bedtime stories and and for me to keep the stories straight in my head you know, because i was making it up on the fly i started writing yep. it down and then eventually i started writing it down and the story got more complex and longer so i mm-hmm. started writing longhand what inevitably ended up being you know, a, a handful of novels. And along the way, I, I mean, I knew of, anytime I 
invest any time in and i do research so okay uh, it, it's, it's <laughs> you just, just can't part, help yourself kind of it's a thing part, it's, it's part yeah. of my dna i i can't yeah. help so so i i i got to know some writer you know i mean because i was i was always a reader um thrillers you know you know like Crichton, but also mm-hmm. epic fantasy was something you know especially as a as a kid and growing up well, yeah, we're kind I of mean, your top five authors or if you can pick so, five or a couple yeah yeah so i mean i, I was a big fan of token uh eddings uh, you know isaac asimov uh, from a sci-fi side of the world uh mm-hmm. Crichton, grisham Cussler. um mm-hmm. so yeah so i i kind of spanned the thriller slash sci-fi slash you know epic fantasy kind of genres Mm -hmm. for me i i just inevitably after i wrote down these things that i fully intended to keep in the desk forever uh as as historical artifacts yeah i i found myself talking to a couple of new york times uh type authors and you know and, and we were talking and i shared with one of them one of my old things that i i i i mean i i i scrubbed it to the best of my abilities and, and it wasn't something i was ever planning on doing but he asked to you know take a look at it you know his advice was essentially it's like you know is this the kind of stuff you want to do i was like not really because you know all right put it this way <laughs> I, i'm I, i'm the stuffy professor type so I, i'm not about sure. to go ahead and start writing about dragons and dwarves or and and admit admit that I'd talk about it in public ever. I've gotten over that, but yeah, certainly when I started writing a a handful of years ago in earnest, yeah, I was like, no, no, because I showed them, you know, one of the kids, you know, bedtime stories, essentially. So even with the kids stories, were you on like the scientific kind of bent a little bit or was it more Uh, of a fantasy type thing? Uh, the, the, their thing was definitely an epic fantasy. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So it, it, it was definitely along those lines. But but I, I mixed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did mix. It was all about initially a family. Yeah. So I put the kids into the story. So which gotcha. was part of the entertainment for them is that it was imagine you know we were on a vacation and we end up in a new new planet or whatever and and you sure. go from there. So so it was the entire family as far as they were concerned you know on an adventure. So that was the bedtime story and and it, and it evolved from there. So. Um, which uh, you know was kind of a mix of science-ish thing because you know hey you know if, if dad's the scientist person you know well you know, of course i'm going to be doing science stuff in this new world uh so yeah, yeah. and uh, and they're going to be you know heroes and hacking and slashing and whatever nice so. okay so getting but, back but, to yeah you mentioned you had shared a little bit with an author yeah that you got to know. They, they, they they gave me advice you know uh, uh and actually i got the same kind of advice from multiple of them you know which was essentially do you know if, if if this isn't what i wanted to do you know it's like do what i know and i started going oh i'll do what i know uh, okay. what do i know science yeah. i do know science <laughs> and uh and i enjoy thrillers and, and and that's where i started dabbling i've got an advantage in as much as uh, i i've got a good career and and mm-hmm. i i oftentimes say I can't afford the time to do things, but I can afford to hire someone to do something for me, uh, okay. to help me out. So, so what I ended up doing, you know, my, my bootstrap of, you know, hi, you know, because I was willing to do the work, but oftentimes mm-hmm. like when you're doing work and you don't know what you're doing, it's like, bring mm-hmm. me a rock. It's like, well, I know this kind of was okay, but sucked. 
you know, yeah. so, but I don't know how to fix it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah. And, and, or I don't have the perspective. So you, you need somebody else. And I wasn't about to go ask a friend or anything else because, you know, I, I was kind of on the down low with regards to. Any <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I, I asked around, you know, from some of the folks I knew and, you know, and found kind of like top notch editor who used to be like, you know, uh, publisher or uh, editor-in-chief for like one of the trad pubs uh, who, who had recently okay. retired and okay. i was like hey betsy i, I need some help <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and, and you know obviously with enough money you know you know uh, <laughs> help came in the form of editing she, yep. she basically yep. edited some of the stuff that i had done and i used that as a means for me to learn what was i screwing up yeah, because for me, it was all about the, the story was never a problem. I could always mm-hmm. come up with a story. And I luckily, you know, I, you know people often ask me, um, you know, well, how do you come up with the ideas for the stories? That that, that one's a, either a God-given thing or, or whatnot. I had a instinct for telling mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. But what I knew I was shaky on was, you know, the mechanics of it. You know, what what was I missing in my story? I mean, you know, the overall arc of a story, no problem. I, I can come mm-hmm. up with that. But where I was, you know, where, where I thought I was weak and, you know, and, and I was to, to a great extent was making it smooth, making it, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I mean, one of the simplest things you can do is read the story aloud the way you've written it. And if it doesn't sound right, it's not right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you should be able to read it and it just flows naturally. It doesn't sound awkward. It, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes that test, I wouldn't pass it. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, okay, well, clearly I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, that, that's, that paragraph's all messed up. Let me, let me start fixing it. And the sure. more you do it, you know, I mean, yeah, it's the old adage of 10,000 hours. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, once you put 10,000 hours in, you're, you're sort of getting better at, you know, you, you start to know what you're doing. Yeah. There's nothing that beats sweat equity when it comes to writing because you sure. just got to put sure. the time in. It helps a lot when you have a really qualified, competent person evaluating it, you know, like an editor. And and, and the one thing I, I guess I advise is there are a lot of people who put up you know, their shingle and say, I'm an editor. And, 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 and that was the thing that worried me is, you know, if I'm going to mm-hmm. spend the time to try to learn how to do this stuff, I, I, I don't want to be jerked around. I, yeah. I don't want to, you know, bring me a rock because I'm getting bad advice. You know, yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of companies that will say, pay us $5,000 and we'll publish your book or something like that. And yeah. 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 yeah that yeah, they're, so. they're not helping you. And, 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 and and, and another lesson I learned, uh, certainly starting off is, you know, be, because what the way I use those edits, you know, I mean, I, I, and I've heard some people, you know, it's like, oh, I send it off to the editor, they fix whatever is wrong, and I just publish as is. I was like, well, do you even look at it? It's like, well, I kind of skim it. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. you know, to me, for, for me, you know, and, and yeah, it's all, it's always going to come back to what worked for me personally. Yeah. Um, but for me, so you, use it, I, you use it as more of a back and forth type discussion yeah. or something like that. Well, so. well, 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 I actually forced myself to, I took, I took the editor's marked up version mm-hmm. and I took my original and I start and I longhand in gross detail, <laughs> um, went paragraph by paragraph and you know started copying in her changes going do i agree do i not agree what mm-hmm. why did she do that does it make sense and most of it you know i would say you know and an editor isn't going to be a hundred percent you know mm-hmm. even the best 
But well, they might you know, they might miss your intent of a certain passage or something like that. Sure, sure, yeah, you know. sure. And, and 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 the thing for me was because a lot of mine was the mechanics. I didn't see the problems. Where yeah, just a simple example of a problem. You know, the editor would call it an echo. You know, where where I use the same word three times in three paragraphs or something. You know, where in okay. in the paragraph by itself it looks fine, and in the next paragraph by itself looks fine but when you start reading it together you're like yeah, I, I keep saying that same damn word why am i doing that you know it's a crutch word essentially so helping me identify crutch words and being sensitive to it those are all little things yes yeah I, I call writing like the peeling of an onion yeah it's like you, you learn a lesson there's another lesson to learn yeah after that so. well i saw on your website you also had like a zero to five scale for Indie, indie publishers for the quality of their work and things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is, we, we, we all go through this self-delusion. You know, it's like, you know, like, like, like when I wrote the stuff that I handed to that first uh, you know, author friend of mine to take a look at, mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned, it looked great. Mm-hmm. But I knew, I mean, I, I, I knew it would be delusional. I mean, I, you know, either I'm a genius because I've never had a creative <laughs> writing class in my life and know nothing about it. Either I'm yep. a genius and it's all natural, which I didn't believe, or mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, someone needs to give me a, a clue, you know, hit me with a clue bat because I, I'm, I don't know. It looks fine to me. So you're always going to have these levels of self-delusion. And most people never get past that first level of, you know, well, it looks good to me. I think it's good. You know, and, and, yeah. and it's not. And it's not. Then they go out um, to KDP and just publish it. And, right. And, 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 yeah. and, 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 and that's the unfortunate thing with, um, you know, and, and this is not to denigrate anybody, you know, because we all go through these learning processes. But, and, and your mileage will vary. I mean, some people are naturally much better writers than I am. Uh, you know, I, I would never have, and still don't categorize myself as the best writer out there uh, by far. But at least I, I, I'm now at the stage, I mean, I think I recently posted that, that I no longer think of myself as a fraud when I call myself an author. <laughs> be, be, because I, you I can say you know, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, even when you hit some mild success with like the first time i hit usa today i'm like you know i kind of snuck in somehow i don't know what yeah what, you know what well. i i fooled some people but i don't know <laughs> you know um <laughs> uh, after a, you know three times for three different novels and you know yeah. and it, it, I, i'm now at a stage where i'm going yeah my ring's not that bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so was it, that first time getting the edits back a little bit of a whack to the ego at all or did you um did you, was oh it yeah worse no, than, yeah I joke that, you know, if, if when you get your edits back, you aren't ready to curse the <laughs> editor out, they're probably not being Honest a good me. editor for yeah. you. Um, yeah, they, you know, I mean, especially if you're starting out now, now I mean, like, like nowadays I, I do get, you know, like, like I've got a top quality editor that I use and, and, and you know, I, I still get plenty of changes and I, I notice or I've realized I write fat, you know, in, in other words, I use more words often than I actually need. Um, okay. and, and that's just one of my personal writing style weaknesses. And the editor helps with that. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm still working on that problem. But I, I'm now at the stage where, you know, and this is, you know, potentially millions of words later from the first manuscript. Um, I, I'm now at a stage where the edits that I get back, you know, like, like it's, it's almost never about the story. You know, mm-hmm. the story 
no comments back from the editor. You know, the story is this, what the story is. No, no suggestions, no holes. I'm actually, from the beginning, I've, I was actually pretty good at that. It, it's, it's about the prose and, and not grammar. It's, it's just, you know, I, I joke, but it's actually serious. I'll send it to the editor and my, my text will get a 15% diet, you know, because it'll come back 15% <laughs> lighter uh, because yeah. he, he'll just remove like 15% of the words and it still sounds great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm like, okay. What is your average uh, book at number of words at publication? Um, it varies uh, anywhere from 80 at kind of the smallest 80 K to 125 K. And, and I think it really depends on how many POVs you have. Like the, the, the largest one was primordial threat. Um, yeah. And, and that one has, or maybe even five POVs. Um, so, 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 I mean, I think, you know, your word count will expand, you know, you know, when you, when you're doing that now, mm-hmm. I think stereotypically certain genres are heavier on the word count, like fantasy to tends to be more. Um, mm-hmm. And I think more of that has to do with just, um, you know, when you set, you know, a story in the modern world, you don't have to explain, you know, what a street looks like typically. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of things you don't have to describe where in, uh, in a fantasy world, you might have to, um, because you know, mm-hmm. everything's new. So, you mm-hmm. know, you can't assume anything, but, yep. Um, yep. yeah, 80 to 125. Okay. Okay. Great. When you're putting together your plot lines and things like that, do you, how do you put together your plots? Is it writing it out in a word doc, a Excel spreadsheet? Do you keep it all in your head? You know, um, like that? So, so I'll usually have a um, two documents up at the same time. Uh, what one, the one I'm working on, that actual book, and the other one is. I, I hesitate nowadays to even call it an outline. It, it's more. <laughs> it, it's more. I used to. I used to outline heavily, and 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 one of the feedback items, and one of the things I learned over time was it, it's very hard to get the nuances right of how the story is going to evolve and. Uh, or, or, you know, or all of the elements are, you, you're going to end up changing the outline as you're writing it uh, anyway, but, but there, it's good to have one because you have goalposts. So, so instead of actually like having a 20 page or 30 page outline of what I'm going to do, I oftentimes will actually just write out the first chapter to freehand off my head. Um, I, I know where, where I want a book to end always, you know, before I even start, I, I know where I want the book to end and I, and I know what the hook is and stuff like that. And, and I'll know like the next chapter or two without a doubt. And then, and then uh, on that outline page you know, or document, I'll, I'll have probably some mileposts of, you know, here are scenes that I know I want to include how I'll get there. I don't know necessarily, <laughs> but, but, but along the ways, you know, I'll describe a couple scenes that I know need to happen to make, for this to make sense. Sure. Then, you know, and, and then I kind of just let it evolve. And usually, like, for instance, I'll always have, you know, the first two chapters or so, I'll know exactly what I need to write. So I'll have those in the outline. And then by the time I get to the, I finish writing the second chapter, I'll, I'll know where I want to go. So I'll, I'll, before I actually close a doc for that day i'll i'll write in the outline doc you know what is the next chapter about or maybe even the next chapter and a half to two two chapters because it'll be fresh in my mind i'll know what what should happen next and then you know and as long as i'm keeping in in mind where where i need to eventually get to yeah we're good 
but you know and, and it's actually worked really well for me that that approach is okay. so it's it's a mix between outlining and pantsing you know do you know like that. certain technologies you want to include in a book um things like that yeah it, typically so so it, it depends on what genre i'm writing so so um sometimes that just comes out of um you know, like uh, I'll, an example of like the Levi or, or even like Darwin Cipher. So uh, my, most of my books have an addendum where I actually talk about the science uh, at, at depth. And, um, you know, and obviously the goal is always, you know, you don't need to have a science background to be able to read any of this stuff. But I inevitably tend to add science things. I let those, I let that come naturally. So like, for instance, if I have, and I've got a fairly wide background in it so i know what's real what's not real and 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 um you know and even real being you know on research side Mm -hmm. um so so for me it's actually very easy for me to go you know what it would be kind of cool if we did this kind of dna editing type of thing and and, and like for the the whole premise i won't give away the you know uh, you know some of the plot lines on darwin cipher but but Mm -hmm. you know darwin cipher has a lot to do with what what happens when people mess around with DNA and to with, with, with the goal being to cure uh, cure cancer and, and I realized like well you know what and and this isn't really giving anything away because it's like in the first you know two chapters or so but the, 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 there just happens to be something I'm, I'm inspired by an article you know where I'm uh, you know I was reading an article let's say about elephants or something and in this case it was elephants and uh, and it just anecdotally said. You know, uh, you know, elephants tend never to get tumors, you know, like mm-hmm. cancerous tumors. I'm like, okay, why is that? So I started doing mm-hmm. research. Why, why, why is that? Mm-hmm. And, and it has to do with the genetics and how, how, how uh, cells replicate. And I'm like, you know what? What if I do this, this, and this and apply mm-hmm. that to human beings? And it's DNA editing. And that's how Darwin Cipher was actually born. Okay. Um, it's just an inspiration from a magazine article that just – it just randomly happened to toss in that piece of trivia. I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't know that. Let me go read up on it and go, oh, interesting. And, and started, and the mental juices started flowing. Going, <laughs> well, you know, how can I turn that into a novel? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I, I know how well, to do that. Let's read a little intro from that because I've got that open here. So, uh, sure. John LaForce scrambled down the steep path leading into Tibicu Valley and took a swig from the cheap red wine he'd bought from a nearby gas station. Almost immediately, a flush crept up his neck and warmed his cheeks. He'd just been fired for the second time this month. He wasn't sure what had brought him out into the middle of nowhere in southeastern Nevada. When he was a kid, his friends used to talk about coming out here to spy on the military planes as they took off and landed. They used to whisper about secret experiments, mysterious clouds in the sky, and of course, UFOs. After all, this was supposed to be where they kept those aliens, Area 51. John didn't believe any of that crap, and he doubted any of his friends had ever had the guts to actually sneak onto the grounds or even come out this way. And as he looked around, he had to admit they weren't missing much, just acres of thick desert sagebrush. Taking another swig from his bottle, John felt the buzz from the alcohol as he scrambled down the slope. Suddenly, something broke through the thick sagebrush at the bottom of the hill. John drew his Glock from from its holster and took a shooter's stance. Bobcats sometimes prowled this area. But it was just a stray dog, dark brown coat, long tail, floppy ears, might be a chocolate lab. John holstered his gun and whistled. Hey boy, what are you doing out here? The dog wagged its tail furiously and bounded toward him. 
He screwed the top back on the wine bottle and held his hand out for the dog to sniff. As the animal huffed at his hand and ran its nose up and down the legs of his trousers, John noticed a bloody wound on its front right leg. Did something take a bite out of you, old boy? The dog whined and glanced back toward the scrub. John scratched the dog's head. Your coat's nice and shiny and you look well fed. He shook his head and patted the dog on its back. What are you doing out here? Someone's probably looking for you. Maybe I should get you to a shelter and see if they can find your owner. I sure as hell can't take care of you. I can barely take care of myself nowadays. A rustle of movement sounded in the sagebrush about 50 yards away. The dog whined, took a few steps up the slope and turned to John as if to say, are you coming? John drew the Glock once more and took a step toward the sound. The lab darted in front of him and gave a low growl. Shh. John stepped around the dog. The dog whined, nipped at his pant leg and pulled hard on his jeans, trying to drag him up the slope away from the sound. What the hell are you doing, mutt? John yanked his leg away and gave the dog a sideways kick, which it easily dodged. The dog backed away, whining, then yipped once and raced up the hill. At the base of the slope, two dark animals burst through the sagebrush. Two more dogs, both nearly identical in appearance to the chocolate lab, but very different in demeanor. These dogs had neither wagging tails nor lolling tongues. They eyed John menacingly, lowered their heads, and stalked closer. John aimed his gun and called out in a friendly tone, Hey boys, are you missing a friend of yours? As soon as he trained the Glock on the animals, they split, one going to his left, the other to his right. His heart thudding, John aimed at the dog on his right. The animal immediately darted behind a boulder. It was almost as if the animal knew the gun was dangerous. Hearing the other dog's nails scraping on the gravel, John wheeled around and fired a warning shot. The animal continued to advance, but it used a jerky zigzag pattern, making it difficult to aim. A chill ran up John's spine. His gun arm shaking, John focused on the approaching dog. For a split second, his mind flashed back to his time as an artilleryman in Afghanistan. Back then, he'd shot at enemies he could barely see. Now, for the first time in his life, he was within spitting distance of his target as he squeezed the trigger. The animal had just begun to leap when the bullet slammed into its shoulder. It fell to the ground with a whimper. At almost the same time, John felt over 100 pounds of canine smash against his back. The second dog knocked him off his feet and clamped its vice-like jaws on the wrist of his shooting hand. John struggled with the growling animal. He started to yell when his voice was suddenly trapped in his throat. The dog he'd shot had clamped down tightly on his throat. He fell back onto the dirt, his windpipe closing under the crushing force of the animal's impossibly strong jaws. His vision wavered as he strained for breath. His heart pounding with terror, he prayed, my God, there's so much I could have. And the world faded to black. So that's a great way to start a book out by killing somebody off and, yep. and in a pretty good grisly fashion. <laughs> yep, yep. Don't know what's going to happen, but you know that, you know. Uh, you, you, right. you, you know the genre, <laughs> generally speaking. So, 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 yeah, this is this isn't a kid's book. Yeah, so. Yep, exactly, exactly. So, so Darwin Cipher that one came out this last year, right? I believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think end of 2019. End of 2019. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. What do you have coming out next? Uh, oddly enough, uh, so so I've got something coming out in February that is completely speculative on my part. So, um, so okay. so I, I I've I've recently started. Yeah, so uh, when I was a kid, uh, I played Dungeons Dragons. So I resemble again, I resemble that remark. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so 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 the, the, that's the whole epic fantasy that all worked out. Okay. So uh, I, I thought you said you didn't do epic fantasy, but I don't. Um, <laughs> uh, but 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 it became one of those things where um, 
Yeah, you know, I, I started playing D and D again with a bunch of other authors. Um, okay, and it, it started making me think. I'm going, all right, you know, well, well because everything I do, you know, has a focus on science in some way, even though that may not be the theme of the book. I, mm-hmm. I weave those elements in it, and I'm going, you know. Uh, and I started studying uh, because one of the genres that's very popular is something called lit RPG, or at least that's what they call it. Um, I don't think Tried Pub calls it that, but you know mm-hmm. it's, they, they call it fantasy. But uh, which is basically, and it turns out that you know, and it's the closest thing to D and D in a novel form. Caveat: the Dragonlance novels from you know, sure, sure, uh, Tracy Hickman and, and whatnot, but um, and Salvatore. Nowadays, they seem to enjoy yeah it it seems to have a lot of success with books that have people that are uh, having out-of-world experiences where they're playing a game and then they suddenly find themselves playing the game in its real life and i I think there was a a recent movie um you know spielberg had done it i forget the name of it now but um it it falls in the same theme it's like virtual reality and this and that i'm like you know what All, all that is very 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 unrealistic um but but that 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 doesn't matter yeah but but for me the thing i do i'm like i, I like to at least have some plausibility with you know yeah even if it's science fiction heavy on the fiction mm-hmm. you know I, I want it somewhat plausible um sure. and, and the whole virtual reality turning into reality thing is you know it, it didn't feel right for what i was going to write I was like, but but I still wanted to write something with D and D, and you know, just writing a pure epic fantasy wasn't exactly what I was looking at. So, um, so uh, c- coming out at the end of next month, uh, I actually have something um, coming out that basically uh, the the premise is imagine ex military, uh, ex special forces actually, um, military guy who uh, finds himself you know looking for a job he he, he went you know he, he used got out of uh, the army and uh, went back to school finished his mm-hmm. masters got an offer to uh, for this government job which looked like it might be an opportunity for him to get back into some action but it was all, all very hush hush you know top secret so they couldn't really tell him what he was hiring for other than the requirements um mm-hmm. so he joined up and it turned out to be that you know a science experiment that okay. uh landed him is part of a um uh if you've ever seen the movie avatar um mm-hmm. the one of the premises of the avatar was that you, you had these you know space marines or whatever who, who who were remote controlling bodies on a planet essentially Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they weren't actually on the planet, you know, having these adventures, but they, they were buckled into these systems that, you know, they saw and heard and felt mm-hmm. like they were, they were there. The premise of the experiment was very much like that, um, which isn't that implausible to make a long story short and not give anything away about some of the, some of it. He finds himself in, in a situation where the experiment that should have lasted only about five minutes looks like he's stuck in that experiment and okay. and that experiment turns into you know he, he he ends up in a place where some of the laws of physics are, are mostly the same but not quite you know some things are different and imagine if if you will a world where if you just tweak a, a few things about how our science works mm-hmm. some of the aspects of a D world could become true and so that's where I play the story. I, I take it okay. from a point of view of a character who 
knows nothing about gaming, is not a gamer, and which which deviates heavily from what lit RPG does because these are all mm. gamers doing gaming things, and then it becomes real. This is a guy who has nothing to do with gaming, and he <laughs> and, and he finds himself in a world that if you're a gamer reading this book. You're going to mm-hmm. go, oh, I recognize that. It's like, you know, and, and, you know, so these are new concepts being introduced to the POV character that, you know, you know I'm trying to pull in an audience. Yeah, you know, that's why I say it's experimental for my part, because I'm I'm writing something that I believe should be entertaining, hopefully to a thriller audience as well mm-hmm. as a fantasy audience. And sure. th- those two don't have a huge, you know, Venn diagram overlap uh, necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, the story does start, does start off very much like a thriller Mm -hmm. and, and ends up resembling something different. So we'll, we'll see. Well, I think that's, I think I'm not trying to criticize some of the more epic fantasy authors out there, but I think they get a little bit too caught up in their, in their world sometimes and, and don't worry as much about making things epic, you know, or making things readable as much as they worry about word counts or something like that or trying to tell every impossible part of a story or all that kind of i don't know what the right word is for that but i hope you know what i mean by that well but. yeah i mean well it, it, inevitably when when you're reintroducing a, an entire new world you, you you inevitably get caught up in the world building of it which which which, which, which yeah. has to happen now mm-hmm. you know every little thing you know but like, like for instance going into this new world yes i could spend a whole lot of time on this new language and whatnot and everything else mm-hmm. and a lot of people toss in foreign languages make up weird words and stuff like that you know and, and that's not to criticize it it's just i i don't think it's necessary to tell a story you know i i think inevitably you know like, like just as a, from a writing perspective imagine you land you know in this book you land in a new world it is a different language i mean that would mm-hmm. it would be hard to believe that oh all these people speak english yeah um mm-hmm. <laughs> how, 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 however you know how, how do you bridge that gap you know and yep. and, and for, for me you know some things are unexplained right up front and, and you figure out later why some of this stuff happens but gotcha. all this guy knows is he ends up in this other world which he was expecting to happen mm-hmm. he was not expecting to meet anyone mm-hmm. you know as far as he knew it was kind of like a you know uh, Neil Armstrong landing on the moon thing. Yeah, you know, I was like, I'm here, great. You know, and, and that was that was the experiment. And when he gets stuck, it turns out he finds some, you know, some people, you know, and they don't speak his language, but for whatever reason, he can hear their thoughts as they're speaking. So he hears right. something that is nonsensical, hmm. but he seems to understand in his head what they're saying. Okay. And that allows him to learn the language. So I don't belabor the differences in the language much, but I, I at least give some homage to there is a different language. And just due to the circumstances, he's mm-hmm. he's able to overcome some of it. And we don't go too crazy. Yeah, I, I don't go, go too crazy <laughs> on, on the you know strange, bizarre names with 12 apostrophes and 14 consonants. Sure. And everything else, so. <laughs> so, I mean, that sounds a little bit of a parallel to the Codebreaker book that you had a little bit mm-hmm. in some ways in terms of yeah. some of the technology or bringing the fantasy part of it into real world as well as the, you know, the, the thought connection and things like that. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Codebreaker was, yeah. So, so, you know, Codebreaker is, is one of those books where you know, I started dabbling in what, uh, you know, what, 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 what is to me, you know, kind of a mishmash between thriller and epic fantasy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, That's, and, that, and, that one kind of tends to bridge science fiction and fantasy and kind yeah. of thriller type stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah be, be, because you you have a lot of action, a lot of thriller esque things, uh, especially KGB assassins, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, and, um, and and that's the kind of book that I don't think could get published outside of the indie world, be, be, because largely, and, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, yeah, be, because Codebreaker to me was was more about you know, uh, this was me experimenting and that and that was a um uh you know a drawer novel you know something i stuffed in a drawer for a, a long time <laughs> um that that i never wanted or thought to publish but you know when sure. when, when i started to me it was a publisher isn't isn't going to publish something that you know is going to be difficult to sell you know and there's a venn diagram of you know okay i i, I cater to thriller readers i carry to fantasy readers and 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 like you you know, like I said before, when you have this mishmash of genres, you look at the Venn diagram and it's a small intersection. <laughs> a publisher could yeah. go, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so, so, so my for audience me, is 10 people in Provo, Utah or something like that. Right. So, right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that, that's not the kind of thing, you know, so I never attempted to sell that or, you know, or, or go, go anywhere with it. The odd thing is that, you know, the whole thing that actually landed me in, in the indie world uh, at all was um, primordial threat. Um mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, that was I'd your actually, was that your first that was your first was a, published one? Yeah, it, it, it was the first one I went out indie, and, and it wasn't going to be indie at first. Uh, so I, I I won't call out the publisher, but it was one of the <laughs> well, well, one of the big five publishers. Editor, um, you know, wanted mm-hmm. to acquire it, but and, and this is where I th- I find it unfortunate, and it's a societal thing at this point. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Without doubt, if, if anyone's looking at the video, I, I, I'm I'm a uh, a white male, which shouldn't be here nor there matter at all, you know, with regards to I'm the author and I happen to be white be, male yeah. and, and, and and Jewish. Oh, by the way, um, so that's all great, fine, whatever. Now mm-hmm. I'd written a book. Primordial Threat has a couple of main POVs. It has you know a, a woman president. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and to be fully descriptive, you know, just to, mm-hmm. you know, a white woman president. I have a, <laughs> uh, a you know, the, the, black the main, main black main lead character. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, the, the the hero of the story, or you know, arguably the hero of the story, is is you know a, a black. You know, so so I'm a white male scientist. You know, he's a black male scientist, and uh, and, and you've got you know a, a cop, um, you know, a f- former military, but you know, uh, essentially mm-hmm. you know, a, a cop. Uh, who's a white male guy, and you know, another scientist, white male, and 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 then uh, another female scientist who's an you know of Indian descent, uh, you know, <laughs> East Indian. <laughs> uh, so so it's a pretty diverse cast of characters, but that's that that that's not the point uh, I'm trying to yeah. make. Is is when uh when the editor wanted to talk to me about it, I was like, okay, cool. So you know, yeah, because he said he was interested and he wanted to talk. I'm like, okay, well, fine. Yeah. And, and when he talked, you know, yeah, he said lots of good things about the book. He really liked, you know, this, that, and everything else. I was like, all right, great. This is the, 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 this is going the direction I was hoping mm-hmm. it was going to go. And then he said, 
I was wondering, you know, th there's one thing I, I, I'd like you to, to find out whether you'd be willing to do is, you know, th there's something about one of the characters that, uh, I think needs to get changed. And, and it, <laughs> happened to be, it happened to be with the, the black scientist. Yeah, the main, main character is, you know, in my mind, the main character. He didn't want him to be black. And I'm like, excuse me, why? And, and it boiled down to, you know, he didn't, he, the editor, uh, acquiring editor, didn't believe that he could get it past the, his review board because they were subscribing to something called own voices. And I was like, what in the world is own voices? And as it was explained to me, and I later uh, looked up cultural it, appropriation. Yeah. Exactly. It, yeah. It, it, own voices was all about, you know, leaving room for people to write their stories about the, their situation, their lived experiences and stuff like that. And I was like, so you're telling me you know, the, the, the white male scientist can't write about a black male scientist. Yeah, so, I, yeah. so all I can have in my book then is white male characters because that's all that I know, right? Right. You know, basically. And, and, and I was like, all right, so how about this? I'm going to tell you that there's no way I'm going to do that because I, you know, as soon as I say yes to that, where does it end? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, yep. and, and he's like, okay, well, I, I, I was afraid that you said that and, and ended up parting ways. Yeah. Um, and I was so disgusted with that. You know, six weeks later, I self-published it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think two months later, it was on the USA Today. Uh, but for you. Yeah. So, I, yeah. and, and I never went back. I'm not, you know, I, I'm a political creature to an extent. But I, I thought better. <laughs> I, I thought better of the publishing yeah. world. And, I, and, and that cured me of that. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was like, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. yeah, and I think I've seen that through other authors that I that I follow, like Larry Correa and, and yeah. anybody, you know, anybody else that is more on the conservative side, personality wise or libertarian or any, it's at the world. I, I, I've tried not to get too heavily political on it here yet, and I'm still trying to avoid that because I want to make this a podcast that anybody can listen to. But at the same time, I I think this kind of cancel type culture and things like that is is one of the worst features of today's society and yeah it doesn't and, make and, any sense to me so. and, and 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 to be honest it really doesn't have much to do in my opinion uh, uh about conservatism versus anything else because i've seen the same problem occur to people who are on the left but they, they wrote yeah. the wrong kind of story or or they felt yeah, it, it really boils down to identity politics in mm -hmm. as much as, you know, like, like I know one, uh, I forget her name and uh, I'm sorry, you know, because we, we, we're friends, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, she ended up getting harassed so heavily because, you know, I'll anonymize it, but let, let, let's just say that um, it, it was a Chinese main, you know, female main character. Uh, and she portrayed it as, you know, in, in a certain way that, you know, I guess even though she was Chinese, yeah, you know, again, I'm, may, I, I'm, I'm obfuscating the details to avoid, avoid sure. labeling anyone. But, but it was like, imagine you have a female Chinese author who's writing about a female Chinese person in a war scenario. And mm -hmm. she, and she got, lambasted and then ended up pulling her own book because mm -hmm. yeah, I remember know, that she, one. Yep. Yep. she succumbed to um it, it was it was appropriating others lived experiences i mean i mean you you can pull this thread as far as you want but it comes yep. down to people unhappy with 
portrayals of certain identities. You can't mm -hmm. do this. You can't do that. I was like, I don't need anyone's permission. I mean, this goes back to a book like called The Outsiders, where, mm -hmm. um, you know, S.E. Hinton uh, wrote a book, uh, you know, I think it was in the 70s. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was an excellent book, but it was marketed as a boy's book because it's primarily boys in, in, yep. in, in yep. Now, Essie Hinton, her her name is Susan, as the author. But you know, they obfuscated her name because they didn't think they'd be able to sell a boy's book if it was a woman <laughs> writing it. Um, and, and so it's just like it's just gotten worse since then. I mean, yeah. yeah, that that one is almost legitimate. You can you can get that. There's a you know, ill boys. Don't, mm -hmm. don't like girls or girls don't like boys whatever yeah so that one's almost justifiable from a marketing point of view it shouldn't be that way but it is but it's gotten much worse and yeah. um yeah. And, and and to me it's just it's silly well and the fact that you just that we can't really have different opinions about anything these days without somebody you know screaming and going crazy and you know not respecting that opinion and, and not having differences i think is just ridiculous you know how are you supposed to degree, disagree about anything i just need to toe the line to whatever you tell me yeah. that kind of a thing it, so it, it, it used to be colleges were bastions of open and free speech and communication and it's not that anymore mm -hmm. um, and 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 people are coming out of the some of the some of these colleges i mean not, not most of them aren't but you know a, a lot of them most vocal ones are coming yeah. out thinking that it they they never believe themselves to be um uh inflexible and and, and they feel themselves to be very accepting of other people's opinions but they're shocked <laughs> whenever they find out that there's someone that has a different opinion that you know that's it, passionate it, about it and and uh, believes in it yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so yeah it, it you know, it follows a lot of stereotypes, but you know, the, 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 what, what one side thinks the other one's misguided, the other side thinks the other one's mis, uh, is evil. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. So, and that leads to cancel cultures and all sorts of other stuff. I just wish we could uh, find some way. I, I think I honestly see, see things getting worse before they get better. I'm not sure how much worse they could actually get than, than they are, but yeah, I think people need to go back and read some of the class, some of the books, especially like Viktor Frankl and Solzhenitsyn and things like that and see how bad it can really get before they start to figure out and express their own opinions. And, but no, I'm, I, I, I'm a firm believer that when, when, when you start focusing on, you know, making up new pronouns or, 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 yeah. or you have other things that you're so worried about, you clearly don't have enough to worry about. Yeah, you, know, exactly. you, you have a very easy life. Yeah, yeah. The the person sitting in a rice paddy, you know, you know, picking rice, isn't worried about these things. They think they're ridiculous. <laughs> so, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, especially I'm going to be reviewing Jordan Peterson's book on here at, within the next few weeks too. And I really, he's polarizing as well. And and yeah. but I think there's a lot about what he says as far as clean your own house before you worry about everybody else's house. And and Agreed. you know, Agreed. so. Yeah. Especially, uh, I'm talk about faith on here as well, and that's one of the big things is we're all sinners, and and we've all got our own issues to take care of. So nobody else's problem is any better or worse than your own problems. You're just not willing to admit. Most people aren't willing to admit what their biggest problems are. So yep. yeah, most people lack self awareness. 
Yep. I do. Uh, I do also like your, we talked, you mentioned uh, switching subjects here a little bit, but you talked about your food, your, your approach to food or that you're kind of a foodie as well. But I just had to read a little bit of your post on Limburger cheese because I thought uh. that, that was especially good. So <laughs> I noticed this cheese today in the supermarket. It reminded me of something not that long ago. I made the, the mistake a few years of getting, a, getting into the mood to taste some cheeses I hadn't had before. While for whatever reason, being somewhat of a gastronomical adventurer, I did pick up a couple of the blue vein types, a couple of the other somewhat unfamiliar cow and goat cheeses, and some of the more adventuresome, creamy, oozy, smelly types. You can't really get too adventurous in the U.S. I'll skip that part, but uh, since uh, we have to be pasteurized and all that fun stuff. I really do enjoy a a good blue cheese, especially with a nice apple or tart accompaniment. I would agree with that as well, Uh, or blue cheese on a, I'll put it on a steak sometime also, but Mm -hmm. some of the oozy smelly types were okay, most of which for me were nothing to write home about, but I did run into one cheese that was quite unique, and most of us have heard of it before, maybe as a gag in a Looney Tunes cartoon, but I'm not sure if any of you have been foolish enough to try it, and Limburger cheese. My grandfather used to eat Limburger with onions and, and pickles, I think, as well, things like yeah. that. So all I can say is when I first approached this, it was with some definite trepidation. If you've never smelled a good pungent Limburger, you've never quite experienced what a dirty diaper that has been left to sit in the bottom of a diaper pill for a week or so smells like. <laughs> and I can only imagine. But well, no, uh, given that I have a, I have an 18 year old, but I also remarried and I now have a seven, five and one year olds. So yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I'm right you're, in the, you're the dream. Yeah, I'm living the dream there. So the bacteria used to ferment Limburger and other rind-washed cheeses is Brevibacterium linens. It is, I pronounce that right, hopefully. Yeah. So this yeah. same bacteria is found on human skin and is partially responsible for human body odor. A likely reason for this is the monks of Limburg who created the cheese would originally mix the milk and curds into cheese by stomping it with their presumably bare feet. Wow, it is did take the next step and taste it. It's probably the most horrendous thing I've ever put in my mouth. So, (laughs) and it had a nice effect on your house as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that 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 was definitely a a biohazard, yeah, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I will never denigrate someone else's choice to eat it. Like, I've had Kazu Marzu before, and you know, and that's just nasty nasty i mean what is, is that the one with maggots growing in it it I is believe? it is oh, uh, yeah yeah when i was in sicily uh yeah i mean uh, unless you're into ammonia uh, i i just don't understand like you know uh, what what why why anyone would be possessed to eat that and the funny thing is is that you know the the local uh, you know uh, advice was is like you want to make sure that the maggots are still moving I was like, oh, great. Why? Yeah, well, well, if they're not moving, that means that the, the cheese has gone over. You know, it's, it's probably oh, well, not like, good anymore. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like oh, I guess that makes sense. If they're alive, it's not going to kill you. you know? Yeah, so, yep, exactly. Uh, so what does a good meal look like to you? <sighs> so um, I, I guess I'm a steak and, and potatoes type of person. I mean, okay. So for me... Um, you know, it, it varies. I, I really like, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I really like fried food. So, so uh, pr- probably one of my favorite dishes that I make uh, or, you know, have at a restaurant uh, would be like a chicken marsala, which is really kind of like a, sure. a fried cutlet with marsala mm. wine, mushrooms, fettuccine. Oh, do you live in the Seattle area? Is that right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just okay. outside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of great places. I tra- used to travel doing software consulting and spent quite a bit of time in downtown Seattle. So it's yeah. awesome. But 
well, maybe not quite so much anymore, but you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, yeah some parts of it are evolving. Yeah. Luckily, yeah. it's mostly mostly contained, but um, yeah, the the, the uh, it, it, let's put it this way, it's not as bad as Portland. Yeah, the Portland, yeah, folks, yeah, yeah they, they they they're getting what they deserve. They voted those people in, so yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of changes that have gone on there. Uh, I had some friends that moved out there specifically for what it used to be about 20 years ago, but right. It is not that anymore, I don't think. So, yeah. no, no, it's unfortunate. But yeah, um, last time I was in Seattle was in the midst of that whole what was it the million man thing or the ninety nine percent or ninety nine percent march yeah. and things like that. And yeah, it was not uh, it was not all that impressive. But uh, you know, so let's see. I had a couple. Oh yeah, I was going to ask you about primordial threat. I saw. I hope I'm not giving too much away to say that you're using an Alcubierre sphere in there. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read Arc by Stephen Baxter at all? I've not. No. No. Okay. No. He uses one that's a bit smaller in there, but that's the only two places in all the books I've I I took me a while. I'm like, I wonder if that's what he's. There's some similar things in that book where the Earth gets flooded by the water coming out from the ground, and you had mentioned that I think in Primordial Threat as well about the type yeah. of rock. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In there as well so that might be one to pick up but who are you reading today if you do any re- if you um, have time for reading i guess but yeah so so, so uh, i i haven't been doing much reading recently so so i i, I will say so, some of the stuff that i have read uh you know so so uh, i guess the advice is always to whatever genre you're uh you're right into you know, read, read, read who the bestsellers are. So, so I sure. was reading a lot of Lee child just to get a feel for, you know, because I, I like the idea of, I mean, so, so fantasies tend to have these series where they're all a linked story. So like, mm-hmm. you know, one, one, you know, book one leads directly into book two, you know, sure. you don't, you don't want to start book two without having read, read book one, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas like stuff like, yeah, in the thriller genre, you you tend not to have that. You you tend to have more like serialized stories where they're all kind of self-contained beginning and, but they all have the common universe, the common set of characters. Mm-hmm. It's like a Double O Seven as an example uh, that people will be familiar with, where you can pick up uh, uh, you know and watch, let's say, any of the Double O Seven movies as as an yep. example. And not to need to know what happened in a prior movie because it has nothing to do with anything. You, you, you know, mm. 007's a member of the British Secret Service and et cetera, et cetera. And it's a story, you know, self-contained. Yep. Yep. So I, I like the concept of that because I wanted to be able to write something like what Lee Child was doing with his Jack Reacher stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love those so, 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 yeah. so, so, so I modeled, you know, I mean, I, I did a lot of the reading just, just so I can get a feel for what does he do? Uh, how, how are they constructed? You know, so for me, it was, yeah, you know, I, you know, being an author kind of ruins me as a reader in, in as much as <laughs> I, I, I do a lot of analysis. You're analyzing. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. And I'm going, you find oh, okay. yourself checking the science as well on things. On books um, yeah. I, I, I'm always disappointed with the science. So I try not to, you know, it's like, yeah, I, like for instance, probably one of the best books I read, I think it was released maybe 2018 or maybe 2019, but okay. you know, it, it was uh, Blake Crouch uh, wrote something called Dark Matter. Now, Dark Matter, um, I happen to know a lot about. It's in my area of study, and the book has nothing to do with Dark Matter. I mean, mean, it's an excellent book. It's probably one of the best ones I read that year. 
uh, I, I like to tell people that you should read that book because when you're done, you're going to want to hug your family. It, it, it's an excellent book. Um, okay. However, and he, and he dips his toe into some science-like things, but it has nothing to do with yeah. dark matter. It has nothing to do with real science. Uh, but it's going to say you might actually read. like that that arc book by Stephen Baxter then, because he does talk about thing. You know, the Alcubierre sphere is is pretty well. I thought I'm not a science guy as much as you are, definitely. But he also used to get the ship off the Earth. They use nuclear explosions um, because they couldn't get a rocket big enough built. So they actually had a series of nuclear bombs to get it off. And I think if I remember right, that was based off some studies NASA did. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a project, there was a project that, you know, used the pusher plate to uh, dump, you know, nuclear bomb behind it and and Mm -hmm. the explosion would push the pusher plate and, and cause uh, it was not necessarily efficient, (laughs) but, but if you don't care what you leave behind you when you're all done, then yeah, you you know, know. it's, it, it definitely puts a new spin on pollution. You know, it's like, uh, it's, uh, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with that. Sure. So So what does a writing day look like to you or what is a standard day? You know, you're still working a regular job. Um, what Um, What does a regular day look like for you where you get some writing in? So let's see. A uh, regular day would be uh, probably 4 a.m. Uh, wake up. Uh, usually wow. get about uh, two hours writing in at, you know, give or take. Maybe okay. three. It, it depends on how, you know, uh, depends on my schedule. Then usually right after that, especially now that I'm working from home due to COVID and everything else, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, that's the work harder yep. thing. Yep. You know? <laughs> um, you know, after I'm done writing, you know, shower, whatever, and I'll you know, walk, walk a couple steps over to my office at home and, uh, and start my day. That will usually last till about, you know, it, it depends on the day, mm-hmm. but you know, let's, let's say 7 PM or so. Um, okay. Somewhere along the way I have some lunch and you know, <laughs> dinner and I'll probably go to sleep at, you know, 10 ish, 11 ish. Wash, rinse, uh, repeat kind of thing. Yeah. And wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I usually get my writing done in the, in the early mornings, uh, okay. first thing. And, 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 I, and what I typically do is I, uh, you know, whatever I wrote the prior week uh, or the prior day, uh, that next day, I'll go edit it. I mean, you know, I, I write semi clean first draft, but it's always crap, you know, with, with fresh eyes the next day. So I'll, I'll always edit whatever I wrote the prior day first before I start putting new stuff down. And, you know, so, so I'll probably spend my first half hour, an hour editing whatever I had and then write new stuff. What is a good day for you word count wise, or do you worry about word count at all per day? Um, uh, so, so I, I know that I can reliably, even with job one, I can reliably do 2000 words. Um, okay. I, 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 I theoretically should be able to do more on the weekends, but I tend not to, I, I try, I, I try to stick to about 2000 words. So, um, and, and for me, it typically means that, you know, even though I might be able to write, you know, so like a schedule for a book as an example. So let's say uh, it's a hundred thousand word book. So I, I could write a book theoretically in two months, but realistically, so two months and if I've scheduled it, you know, ideally, as soon as I'm done, done, I can hand it off to the editor. Um, now, sometimes there may be a delay or you know, I didn't schedule it right. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, may, it may have to wait, but let's assume as soon as I'm done with that, editor gets it. 
he's usually about two weeks to go get me back the draft, uh, give or take. He's usually pretty good about two weeks. And, and, and then I'll go ahead and read through everything that he's done. And I, I no longer do the copy the changes over. I, I now, I, you know, because I've got a, <laughs> I've got a trusting relationship with the top notch editors. I generally trust what he does. And, and what I'll do is I'll do an accept all, and then I'll just read it from scratch. And I'll oh, inevitably, okay. Okay. Uh, and I'll inevitably do edits again on top. Well, that's of probably it. part of getting a good editor is that they can learn your voice a little bit and start to, if they got to make changes, they'll do it in your voice a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I mean, th this guy's was pretty good about that. It's just, you know, where, where sometimes, especially if I'm getting into very technical things, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I always have, you know, when I'm in this phase of post editing, uh, I'll have the original that I sent him up on, oh, okay. on the side. Kind of compare a little bit at least. Yeah. So, so as I'm reading the accepted version, you know, I'll go, something's missing, <laughs> you know, or, or you know, it doesn't feel <laughs> exactly right. So I, I, I'll, I'll actually, you know, that's why, I mean, what, you know, because no, no one's perfect. So if I ever find a bug or something like that, you know, I, I always have the original intent. So all my intent is certainly captured there. If I didn't write it well, that's a separate issue. But, but if he edited out something that I think needed to be there and I could tell, you know, that's where I go to the old one and go, oh yeah, he missed, the, all right, the, this is important. Let me go put you know pull that back in and stuff like that so you know so but the, it usually takes me about a week or two maybe to get that all squared away now obviously concurrent to all this i've got the artist doing his thing um <laughs> now, now that i do things in multiple languages what okay. i'll you know uh translation so, efforts you know, and things do, like do, that do, yeah. Do, yeah so i've got translators lined up typically at this point so usually when i'm ready to publish in english i hand off to the translators let's say to do german and and, and then you know even though I, I work with voice you know audio companies in the u.s and for english the english market uh, i i work directly with uh voice artists in in germany so i you know so oh, okay. I, okay. I i i do that and that's all kind of just a like a factory line you know it's like as soon as the the translator is done the translator you know <laughs> sends it back to me you know i obviously pay him and you know and mm -hmm. i send that manuscript over to the voice artist the voice artist starts doing his thing so um, you're still you're still doing a lot of that that maybe a traditional publisher would publisher do. would handle behind the scenes and yeah. and take their cut for i'm guessing as well so yeah. oh yeah, yeah 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 so so you know and, and i had this conversation at like late last night with another author uh, on, a, <laughs> on a zoom call because you know he, he opted to go with uh, a, a a smaller press yeah. and the smaller yeah and i was like why, why why do you do that because i knew he could some people don't want to be bothered with even laying out their own book or you know to me that's all very simple i i can do that with my eyes mm -hmm. eyes closed but but he's like you know i i, I just don't have the time or the, want to hassle with it and i was like okay well, i mean that, that's a legitimate reason to go to a publisher mm -hmm. is and, and theoretically i don't have the time either but i find this <laughs> I, i'm i'm a bit of a control freak so yeah so <laughs> um so so I, I, I now now that I have artists that I very much like mm -hmm. uh, and, and I've I've got my little network of folks from my factory it's easy for me to control yeah you know? so my 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 goal is to get my wife to retire so I can you know hand some of that stuff off to her and train her up <laughs> but um you know and, and I can just focus on writing but yeah you know, until then yeah you know, I do everything 
So what are your, some of your family challenges? I mean, I don't want to go too deep into family if you don't want to, yeah. but you know, some, what are some of your family challenges with that kind of a schedule? Is it a little tough sometimes? Uh, well, I think inevitably you have to have a very, have a very understanding family. <laughs> now, now it, it just happens to be, you know, uh, I'm, I guess, lucky in, in that way where we're all very busy and, yeah. and, and with COVID and all, everything being remote, it's just, yeah, I got kids waking up at 3 PM. I got, you know, kid, you know <laughs> I, I mean, we're all in such yeah. ridiculous schedules that, you know, uh, you know, the whole family meals, things have got, yeah. Even though everyone's theoretically working or studying from home. Sure. It, it's, it's kind of a mess. So yeah, COVID is definitely throwing a wrench into the way things work. So to yeah. speak. Because like for my kids, they, they uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Real Genius, but the, the, there's a oh. scene where the, the professors the, the professors got so so bored with teaching the class that they started you know this is real to real tape uh they 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 uh they pre-recorded the lecture and wrote stuff on the board and then you know and then a student would come in and it was the uh, real to real tape just playing so sure. that's actually that's actually the experience that college kids are having now because i mean yeah. i mean some of them like my, my youngest has college where it's actually an interactive zoom yeah you know, oldest one a lot of his class you know like his classes it's just it's you know it, it's pre-recorded stuff i mean it's 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 you know so he, he can literally take it you know do his class at two in the morning that's fine yeah yeah i mean yeah. there's no set time for his class which is just mm. bizarre to me yeah and again it it, it 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 violates my control freak nature because i want to see him going yeah. to school and yeah it's like exactly there's, there's no seeing that you know? well it would be nice to be able to have that interaction you know that's how you theoretically learn stuff too is right being able to ask questions i mean my best classes in college were ones where we had that interaction with teachers but you know right was, yeah. and, and, and the teachers always have office hours and whatever so they're available but yeah it's, it's not a lecture it's not yeah. it's not it's not what you know certainly most of us grew up with when it comes yeah, to definitely, college definitely well hopefully uh, the world comes back into sanity soon yep. and, and we'll get everybody back where they're supposed to be. So yep. at least to some degree. Uh, so the the book you've got coming out in February, what's the, do you have a title for it? Yeah, it's called The Planeswalker. It, it, it'll come out probably end of February. Uh, I'll probably, uh, anyone who uh, looks uh, looks on my Facebook or otherwise will probably see mm -hmm. some covers coming out in, in the next couple of weeks uh oh, okay. i usually okay. uh, release those and uh i'll actually almost certainly be doing a concurrent release english and german so it'll be the first oh, novel, set of novels that get released in both countries at the same time so or both languages at the same time do you have other languages on tap as well or not uh, so uh, i am working with an agent for asia and nothing no, nothing solid uh yet but uh yeah so uh, yeah. Uh, always ear to the ground on, on that but uh yeah mm -hmm. the, the the german thing you know likely french as well but we'll see okay um, good luck yeah yeah. Yep. yeah yeah what about after the planeswalker anything else later yeah in the year? um so i i will have uh a follow-up to what do you call it so the, there will be a book three of the primordial threat series you know the exodus oh, okay series. sure yep. uh so yep. there will be a book three um uh, i also uh and i i officially announced this uh in, in the plane in in my author's notes in the planeswalker but i guess i can say it here so uh i i will 
almost certainly be doing a book two of Darwin Cipher. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I don't want to bust the yeah. ending of the book or anything like yeah. that. But, 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 you know. but it, it, it will be an unexpected book two in as much as I left it purposefully at the end, but like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but it, it will be a story that focuses mostly on the FBI guy. It won't be okay. on the medical guy. So, because... Uh, two main characters one one the doctor the other one the fbi guy for lack mm-hmm. of a better term they, they both have their own endings in in darwin cipher um you know, sure. i pick i pick up with the fbi guy handbook too sure now i'd like to ask for there's not a direct sequel to the code breaker yet is there so the code breaker that one was unusual because i released it in an odd order um yeah know, uh, uh, the code breaker is actually a book two of what i intend to be at least a four book series okay yeah you know, so uh there is a book three which is not a direct uh you know so so and, and i mm-hmm. talk about it as that series is very unusual because mm-hmm. it's book one book two book three and they're all fundamentally the starts of three different stories <laughs> um now, and, book I mean, four needs to pull them together somehow or something yeah like yeah that? yeah okay. yeah so, so so you know like in most books, you, 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 you maybe have three or four characters that all run independently and they may somehow interact with each other at some point. So this is actually three storylines that lead into a fourth, uh, into a fourth book. And, and that's where I actually pick up and merge all three together. And, gotcha. and you realize, you know, without giving anything away, you know, book one had a focus on a certain character, uh, set mm-hmm. of characters. Book two had another. And then book three, yet another still. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you definitively that book four will continue with the same characters you saw in book uh book four will have the same characters that you saw in book three but okay. book four you're, you're gonna you, you you're gonna so, some people will be uh <laughs> surprised what happens to the threads from book one and book two gotcha not not, okay. not, not everybody may survive uh, well <laughs> yeah. sometimes that happens right you know yeah I'm still, I, I hate to say it, but I haven't made my way through all your Levi Yoder books yet, but where did Levi Yoder come from? And then we can probably wrap it up after that. But, sure. Uh, um, uh, so so Le- Levi basically came from... And why an uh, Amish kid? Yeah, yeah well, well, well that, that, that's the thing. Uh, I, I, I definitely wanted to... I started that series after having really studied the Jack Reacher stuff. Yep. And, I, and I wasn't going to do a Jack Reacher novel, obviously, or anything that mm-hmm. even resembled it. But I liked... I, you I had liked to how Jack, your guy. You had to kind of uh, find your guy. Yeah, right? I liked the <clears throat> Jack Reacher archetype in as much as... He mm-hmm. was definitely very different. And, um, and, and so I, I was like, you know what? you know let me make something ridiculous you know who, who's who's gonna expect so so we, we've had mob thrillers before you know um and, and it's always you know some paisan out there who's who's in the mob who leaves the mob or has conflicts with the mob or whatever so wh- why not have somebody start off with a he's a mobster you know and he's got a very long and sorted backstory 
but it has nothing to do, you know, the book starts nothing to do with him being a mobster. It has everything to do with he's dying. You know, he, yeah. he's got cancer and, and, and his wife tragically dies. Uh, you know, so I'm not giving anything away. That's chapter one. And, and, and so he's a tragic character, you know, so you, you, you know, and you only kind of get hints that he's, he's actually a mobster. So, you, you know, I, I try to build up some, some sympathy for the, you know, this is a guy who's going through hell and he's dying. And, and suddenly, you know, his, his life is falling apart. And then suddenly he realizes that, you know, his cancer has gone into complete remission. Mm-hmm. So now, now, now his life is falling apart and he figured it was, you know, it, you know, it was over and, you know, he's just going to die alone and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And now he's going to live. Yeah. And, and his life has still fallen apart. So yeah, he, most of the first book there is kind of pulling it all back together again a little bit, which yes, was, yeah. you know, I thought was great. Yeah. You know, so, and I wanted, and his backstory really is about, you know, some Amish farmer kid who ended up, you know, uh, not wanting, you know, and, and this happens with a lot of Amish community, you know, where, yeah, they, they have this Rumspringa, you know, which, Rumspringa, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, which, which gives it the Amish kid an opportunity to see the real world before he commits to living mm-hmm. the life of, you know, uh, what, what we think of as Amish. Although and, I think the way you wrote him is that he was never coming back, no matter what, from his yeah, <laughs> yeah. He always had an idea of yeah, this wasn't for him. He 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 knew he, he wasn't yeah. in doubt. His parents may have had doubts, but yeah, he wasn't. In. Mm-hmm. And and you know, he just got involved with some interesting characters mm-hmm. who who ended up years later becoming a mob boss. Um, mm-hmm. and, but he you know and the his so his best friend became a mob boss you know he learned that only later but during his time in new york before the tragedy started you know he uh he was friends with the this kid whose father was a mob boss sure and um and you know he got involved yeah so you you got you know one of the few non-italian members of the mafia essentially yeah Um, now do you jack reacher or uh lee child he's he's gone back into you know, as Jack Reacher's gotten older, he's kind of done some books that have gone back into his history a little bit. Are you planning right. on thinking of doing some of that someday? Yeah. So, 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 so I, yeah. So book one. Yeah. So if, if I were to do book one of the Lever, uh, Levi Yoder series again, I may have done it a little differently, but obviously it, it is what it is. So I, I actually have an element of the Levi Yoder series where, where, where I tied it off at the end saying, I'm never going back to this. Um, you know, okay. I, I don't want to know anything about it. I don't want to, because there was some, you know, like for instance, his, his cancer remission was somewhat, let's call it supernatural, if nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and it was one of those things where he learned about it it made no sense to him and he mm-hmm. and, and and it gave him the willies and he's like I, i'm tearing all this stuff I, that this isn't who i am that's not you know i i am who i am you're not telling me anything differently because mm-hmm. the implication of that was he's he's got some larger role so so the yeah. answer to your question is maybe yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. well yeah we can leave it at that but yeah. all right mike i really appreciate the time and and it's great getting some insight into your you know your writing and and just your world a little bit and and i know you're a very busy guy so i'm so thankful that you're able to take some time out and and be with us here today and sure and uh hopefully you enjoyed it as well so yeah yeah it was fun yeah. thank you yep all right well uh we'll be publishing this as soon as we can and uh i wish you nothing but the best of luck with your new book that should be out in february as well yeah thank Good you luck very with much the podcast. Mike. Yeah. yeah yeah thank you i appreciate okay, it thanks 
All right, and Mike has left the building, so uh, I can't thank Mike enough for coming on the podcast to talk about his writing, about his books, uh, balancing career and family, and I guess that's one of the important things that I really like to uh, get out of out of having him on here. It was just an understanding of, of what it's taken for him to go from you know unpublished author to USA best USA Today bestseller list and beyond, and still be able to balance family and work. And you can obviously tell you know it may not be easy, and, and COVID doesn't definitely help with that, or definitely doesn't help with that. Uh, but he's making it work, and so I think we can all do that uh, and and work to really balance our time. I think you could, uh, we didn't dig into family life for Mike a whole lot as far as his interaction with his wife and things like that. But you can I think you can you can tell that he is a family-oriented guy can tell from his opinions he's got strong opinions on things um, but he's also someone that I think has a strong sense of value and a good moral compass and is someone that would you know if he was a friend of yours would bend over backwards if you needed him to, to to help you out I have loved reading his books I mentioned a bunch of them in the over the course of the discussion that we had so I highly recommend picking all of them up on on either Kindle or paperback, uh, whatever your medium is of choice. Uh, they're all excellent reads, and I, I didn't get a chance to compliment him on his dialogue, but I think one thing he does well, in addition to bringing the science aspects into his into his books, is that he's he does a really good job writing dialogue, and I think that's something that people can tend to not pay enough attention to as far as how is it does it sound right when two people are talking to each other in a story, and, and uh, are the words that they're saying, or the way that they're saying them, you know, the way they're being portrayed, the scenario area, the setting, is all of that being brought together into one uh, cohesive uh, wholeness. So I I think he does a really good job with that. One challenge, I guess my challenge for the week this week is can you find a new author to read? I'd recommend Mike's book if you're uh, a fan of science or fiction or tying those all together into uh, a cohesive cohesive novel take a read at them you know just get a sample and go from there and see what you think but if you're also taking a look at stretching your goals stretching your stretching yourself a little bit um, take a listen to the podcast and you know see what you can do to take things to the next step for yourself how can you how can you take that next step as uh, with your activities with your family with yourself and really be more present in the things that you do from day to day for grow to amazing uh, this is tony mays so we'll see you next week We'll